we get to start all over with uh, us. <laughs> this is a new series, and this one is uh, dealing with the things that we, we're wrestling with daily in the world, whether we recognize it or not. So this is, this is a um, walking with God in the world. And it will give us an opportunity to see what God is doing uh, cosmically. So what's happening with us just as, as people uh, living our lives out in the world with all the typical things that we're used to. And then the backstory, the cosmic backstory that goes with all of this. Because there's a whole lot more that's unfolding and we, we can just get caught up in the day-to-day and miss all that's, that's out there. So let's kick this off with this rival realms. God has set up his kingdom. He has created things, uh, all things that we know. There's a, been a rebellion, a number of those. There are... Uh, beings who are invisible to us, who are opposed to what God's doing. We know people uh, are also opposed to what God is doing or just act like he's not there at all. We have a, a battle going on just to get through life and understand how things can be as they are. And if we don't add this in, we miss a great deal of how God is at work. And I'll show you how that, how that goes. We're going to start with Elijah because he's a great Old Testament in, uh, prophet, but he, he demonstrates so much of what is going on. So 1 Kings chapter 18 has it all. I'm not actually going to read from there, but you can, you can check, check it out and check it out later too. But it is a encompassing story. So Elijah is is the prophet representing Yahweh, the one true God. And he has called together the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And he has he has come to the king and King Ahab and he said, This is it. Let's have it out. Let's go to Mount Carmel and we're gonna we're gonna take this we're gonna take this on. Bring your guys. And and it just be me, and then you bring your guys, and let's see who's going to win this contest. So it's on. That's that's where we're going to take this thing to start with. So that's coming from First Kings eighteen, and and there's all all kinds of things that have gone on before with Elijah and between Elijah and Ahab. But I want you to see the the conflict that unfolds at this point. So this is. The mountaintop experience, they build altars, one to Baal, one to Yahweh, and Elijah has the prophets of Baal go first. And the idea is they put their sacri- they put the wood in the altar, they put their sacrifices on top, then they ask their God, in their case, they're asking Baal to come for come forth for them and uh Take the sacrifice, burn it up, set it on fire. They can't touch it, so they dance around. They 
uh, use knives and cut themselves as part of their uh, worship. They're crying out to uh, to Baal to come to come forth and and consume this. He hasn't done anything. After a while, Elijah makes fun of him and says, "Well, where is he? Did he go on vacation? Did he go to the bathroom? Where you know where's where's your God? He doesn't." He, he just doesn't show up. So we've got a, a, a God, but we need, let's, let's understand a little bit about him. There is behind the scenes on this God, he is the one who is uh, representing uh, war, control. He's, he's uh, the master. He is the Lord, Baal. That's going to be what that refers to. And that word can also be used as a generic term sometimes for for lord and other other ways but in this particular case this is representing this this god fertility is going to be part of it uh, asherah is the female goddess who's the counter to to baal the cycles of fertility that happen in in the country are uh, all considered to be part of what they do baal uh, Goes into the underworld in the winter time. He comes back in the spring. So there's that whole, you know, bringing life back. The fertility thing is all part of it. So in the worship centers, the temples, or the Asherah trees, you've probably read about those in in Hebrew scriptures. On the high places, on the hills, in the mountains, that's where you meet gods. And Asherah trees or poles, Asherah poles, represent from her side the fertility cycle. And also where they would go, and and there's sexual practices that go with all of that. So there's so there's sexual uh, immorality, and there's in in their minds morality. So it's bent, but that's that's their thinking. Uh, Ahab is the king, but he marries Jezebel, and her the last part of her name Bel is also just and. Uh, alternative of Baal. She is the daughter priestess of the priest king from uh, Tyre. So we've got a whole connection with the Baal religious cult, Phoenician uh, cult. So that's connected to this whole whole thing. So she's bringing that in and brings a whole lot more power to that side. When the government says this is who we're going to worship, that's the direction you go. So Ahab and Jezebel said, Baal and Asherah are it. We don't need much Yahweh. So that creates a problem for the ten tribes in the north, Israel, because they're supposed to be following God, yeah. Yahweh, and they're not. So that's, so we've, we've got some input. So we've got a, a leader taking them away from where they should be to do some other other things, following a God who's... Immoral the, and the powers that be. And just so, just so you know, in the background, when we're talking about gods and, you know, well, it's just mythology. People just made this stuff up as they went. There's this whole evolution thing. They just, you know, they just didn't have any scientific answers, so they came up with this. That's great, except people aren't that stupid. If you didn't get something out of it, you wouldn't keep doing it at a point. So how many thousands of years does it take to go, you know, that didn't work. Something works. Something about the fertility, something about how these gods show up, 
Uh, Baal can't be everywhere present, but he is one of those who has turned his, you know, rebelled against God. He has turned his back on on Yahweh. So he is his, in, but his influence is there, and there's demonic uh, activity as well. So those are think smaller gods, but they're these junior gods are doing their thing as well. So there's impact. They're influencing the people's thinking, and you go, well, I can go worship impurity. And confess my sins, or I can go worship and have sex. In general, how which one do you think is going to win? And uh, that's how it goes. And if you get out of because part of the fertility is you have to have uh, the weather, which is often how Baal is is depicted riding a bull and with a, a lightning bolt in his hand because he's controlling the weather, because you have to have enough rain, the right kind of weather, to bring about growth for either your herds or your crops. And so to keep an agricultural society going, you've got to have that. So they've got, they've got Baal, Asherah, and they're pretty, pretty well off. They've got food. Things are going pretty well, and... Uh, so they, they, they think this has got to be the one. So we've got morality, we've got laws based on that, we've got religion, we've got the economy. Uh, all of those things are happening. Right before we get to the Mount Carmel part, though, uh, Elijah says, you know what? The Lord thinks we should go a different direction. So for three years they haven't had rain. So if, if you know, big deal Baal can't make it rain... There's some questions. So now people are getting a little hungry. They don't have enough food. They don't have enough water. Animals are dying. Crops aren't producing. The whole fertility thing is not working. So yeah, let's have, a, let's have it out on Mount Carmel. Okay. So they go build their, their altars. They set it up. They can't. The, the prophets of Baal can't get Baal to answer. And he can't light the fire. So then they give up, it's late in the day, and that's when Elijah says, well, all right, let's set, set ours up. They throw the wood on the fire, they put the sacrifice on there, and they cover it with water. They build a ditch all the way around it, ask the Lord, light it up, and he does. And the fire consumes all of it, including all the water, in the ditch. And that's when they realize, and they start calling out the Lord He's God, that one, Yahweh, that one true God. He is the one. Then uh, they take out the uh, prophets of Baal and Asherah. The king takes off, and uh, as he's getting ready to head out, Elijah says, oh, by the way, you better hurry because the rains are coming. They go, okay, is that a big statement in there? It's huge. It's three years, three and a half years, no rain because the one true God, not Baal, controls the weather. Huge statement. So that, that influences the power, the uh, economy, the, the philosophy behind all of that. All of it's in, impacted in this event that unfolds there in, in 1 Kings 18. So I wanted you to have that because we're going to talk about the rival realms as it applies to us. How are we affected? 
because we are so modern and we have no problems with Baal and Asherah and we got, you know, we're just moving along in in our society and uh, at breakneck speed and with no clue as to the cosmic realities that are around us. And it's there. So we as the uh, children of God representing what God is doing on earth are the bridge. So this is the bridge between. And we are God's family. Uh, He has reached down from heaven, sent his son. His son died on our behalf, made it possible for us to have a relationship with him, reconnected with the creator. We now live a different life than those who are around us in the world. We have come out of that world, out of those relationships, out of the thinking that we've had uh, that has impacted us. We, we can now think recognizing uh, the rebellions that are there that are in our own hearts, but also the rebellions that exist in, in the heavens, the battle that's going on between God and, and those divine beings who have turned their back on him and and create quite a bit of trouble for us on earth. So we're we're God's family. We we can point to God, that one who is in heaven, who has created all things, and we are physically representing him here. There's the rebellion of the nations. Those are the the people who have turned their back on God or still still living that way, still uh, assuming that they have all the answers, they're following other gods or pretending there is no God and they live regardless of where they are on the map or around the globe, they have gone in, in, a, in the opposite direction of, of the one true God and he is wanting them to come to him. Our part in all of this is to model what it's like. What does it look like to live in the kingdom of God on this planet in a physical body, living in the midst of this cosmic battle that is going on and allowing people to watch us and not only allowing the people to observe, but there are the divine beings, the angels, the heavenly creatures. There are others that are opposed to God, who are also observing, and he wants all of them to witness what it looks like for his reality to be lived out in and through people in this world, in this day and age. And he wants to highlight that so that for the, all the ages to come, they know what Jesus can do. He is releasing that. We get to be part of it, but he wants the, there, there's a rebellion of the nations. They turn their back on God, and they're going a different way. We get to be part of this bridge. Uh, there are gods, demons, and, and the realm of darkness that surrounds us, and they influence the things that are, that are happening, the way people think, the books that, they're, that they write, the uh, things on TV or movies and the things that are being produced are being being produced by people influenced by these very things who can say, you know, suddenly I had this inspiration, this character, this story, and I, and I wanted to put this thing out there. Is that really 
you know, the creativity of that individual or did some being also help him? Because it wouldn't it be nice to just twist this a little bit and highlight what it is like to have no God or to be opposed to God. In many of the horror movies, you've got to have a little bit of that. Or to have a philosophy that is so devoid of any kind of morality that is close to what God would, would seek for humanity. They want to lead it a different direction. And it doesn't take long to watch some of those uh, programs or even go to a play and, or listen to the music that's being produced. And you go, huh, how can you get that twisted? And you go, yeah. Not only are they doing it on their own, but they have help. So how can a government make decisions? Um, I don't know. The White House represents the United States of America. The protocol says that the United States flag has center uh, honor. It has to be the highest staff. It has to be the center staff anywhere it is displayed. It cannot touch the dirt. It has to be displayed particular in particular ways with the blue field facing particular direction. And yet the White House decides to put a rainbow flag on the balcony between two United States of America flags. Where does that come from? How can that possibly be acceptable? It's written in the code. That's how you treat the flag because it represents the United States of America which is a country that we say is under God until we remove God and we make something else the center. Where does that come from? Are we in a cosmic battle? Yeah. That is so ridiculous that there's no room. No one in the history of America would have thought, boy, that makes sense. Not once until now. Because the battle has shifted, shifted enough to allow things like that to, to occur. So God's people are in the visible and invisible war. It's visible because just like that, that's a real thing, physical thing, not real, realer than anything else I'm talking about, but definitely a physical thing. That happens in government, that impacts the United States, it's in the news, so you know it impacts how people think, how Americans think, but it also impacts what the rest of the world thinks of us. Those uh, invisible beings who are just ecstatic over what happened and going, see, we won again. And they are thrilled to be able to stir those things up. And it'll also get people to arguing. In some places, you know, throw fists or shoot guns or, you know, it's, it's all in their favor. It just helps. So there's a visible and invisible war that's going on. And it happens not only in Washington or between nations, but in homes, at work, in school, in churches. It's happening all around. The battle is on. We're told to watch for it in Scripture over and over again. And because, you know, it's invisible, 
uh, as soon as we walk away from a service or reading it in scripture or reading it in a book, we're on to the important things. There's branches down at my house. I need to plant flowers. You know, all those important things. Ah, They have to be done. But we can't forget that in the middle of all this, this is a battle. We have to be vigilant. Paradise lost, paradise found. That was lost. There was a time when the garden, in the garden that God met with those first human beings, they had fellowship, they had a chance to talk, and and he gave them responsibilities. They had everything they needed to get going. He gave them things to do. They had a whole planet that they were going to be uh, taken care of. And, and there were going to be more human beings to help them do that. But it was lost because the influence of the, the, uh, the rebel speaks to them. And they go, well, that sounds better than listening to God, which is the same problem we have today. But he has so patiently given us an opportunity to come back around and come to know him, to enter into a new relationship with him, to enter into such perfection with him that those things will go away. They will be defeated. That that paradise will return, never to be taken away again. So it's lost. It's coming again, but we're not there yet. So we're still in the midst of rival realms that we are dealing with. So here's some things to consider. Uh, and these are the, some of the areas we're going to hit as we go through this series. So each one of these will be a, a topic for Sunday that, that's uh, coming up here. Things to consider. Human development and spirituality. Human development has to do with who we are as individuals, uh, as people, but also what that means over a lifetime. So how do we develop? How do we come from uh, from birth and and we developed in the in as our as we're being formed uh, in the childhood and how are, how does our thinking work, our emotions, how do we begin to connect socially, uh, intellectually, how do we grow? And then as adults, what do we do with our responsibilities and and where do we fit? What's the meaning? What's our purpose? And then where does that take us? As life begins to wind down, how do we do that? How do we do all of this well? So that's that's uh, it's a huge deal, and it's very distracting because I I have have actually studied. And, and with an emphasis in this particular area. So the whole thing, the tendency to to want to go, oh, let's get in some Eric Erickson and some Piaget and some, and they go, nope. <laughs> we got to stay focused on these things because you only get, you know, like a half hour. So I don't have time to talk about those things. But all of these elements of development and how that affects us over a lifetime as we go from childhood to adulthood to middle age to senior citizen to death all of that and and how we do that dealing with the cosmic dealing with the spiritual dealing with each stage and coming out at the end ready to glorify god and receive the well done 
from him at the end. How do we do that? That's what we're going to... We'll get into some of that. Uh, Government and God. God set up governments. This isn't like, oh, surprise. For him, he set up governments. He knows that people are... uh, Well... Some are going to be evil, some are going to be irresponsible, but it's still better to have order than it is to have total chaos. So there's a place for government. But he's, he's also going to work in it and through it, and he wants to work in and through us in it as well. So how does government work? What is God doing with that? How does that fit into the cosmic scheme with rival realms? And we'll talk about that. Climate change and responsibility. You hear about it, and there are a lot of uh, a lot of emphasis, a lot of education on that, a lot of uh, uh, laws, regulations, governments around the world are dealing with it. So it's it's a serious matter in this day and time because it keeps coming up. Well, how do you how do you wrap your head around that, and and what is God doing with that, and and what is the uh, the cosmic picture? Because this thing isn't just left to, oh, you guys, you blew it, you made too much plastic. There's, there's a spiritual part of this that impacts what's going on, decisions that are being made, what we have done in a number of ways. And also, God did not turn his back. He's not on vacation. He is still involved and this is another area we need to look at. What is going on? Economy and provision. So there's the possibility that, uh, at, you know, when we're talking about money, and this would be true for many people in the church. If we're talking about money, you just keep your hands off it. You don't talk about it. You don't talk about giving. You don't talk about um, how I need to to run my my stuff that's my money and I get to do it my way and I make what I want and it it just becomes a very personal guarded uh, fight worthy kind of um, area and it ought not be because this is about how does God provide for us and we use money as a means of of uh, trade and to be able to survive, to buy food, buy homes. It's just a means to accomplish those things. So his provision supersedes all of it. His plan for what we have supersedes all of it. And there is no economy on earth that is not dependent on him. At any moment, he pulls it away, just like if he takes our breath, we're done. And he can say, eh, no more for you. One economy, look through history, you go, this one worked, that one didn't. Why did that one work? You go, it really doesn't make any sense why that one was so much better than this other one. Except that God is at work and sometimes allows things to uh, move in different directions and there's a reason for it. And we will, we will be, uh, there are consequences in life for how we handle our finances there's also an accountability that we will give in eternity for what we do with our finances. So it's not just now, it leads into forever. So 
does it make a difference? Yeah. Do we need to see how economies work and what God's doing and, and what the enemy is trying to do with those? Yeah, I think it would help. If we're watching that, you can watch, uh, keep track of Wall Street. Just see what happens there. Cryptocurrency. Just, just watch what happens to, oh, you used to lean on gold. Now we don't. We used to lean on the dollar. That's about, the dollar's about to go away on the, on the international uh, evaluation of things. So where are we? Who's battling what? And what is God trying to teach us through all of that? Economy and provision. When the body stops and life. So we talked about human development, spirituality. We'll start with that next week. And then we will have along the way, when the body stops. So the physical reality that we know comes to an end and then there's something beyond that and to talk about what's coming next how that works what what to expect and to see what the enemy does to keep us off balance to keep us fearful to uh, drag us down into a pit about those things that is uh, that has been his trick since the get-go. You won't die if you eat that fruit. Ah, oh, yeah, they did. Well, who's going to run what's happening in the underworld? Uh, where are those beings? Who, who has uh, scared people so badly that death, the whole idea of death, has had them entangled? And then... Jesus rises from the dead, and we get that. Where's your sting, oh death? He changes it. Still bother us? Yeah. Yeah. Because we've got to get back to he won. And we've got to keep going there so that the enemy doesn't get a hold. Then the fear comes, which is the thing he's used to tie up humanity and misdirect them for thousands of years. So, when the body stops... In life. So we're doing this w- walk with God. So let me give you this little word study. Peripateo is the Greek word for walk or walking. So in the New American Standard, it, you'll find it in the New Testament 95 times. It is uh, a favorite of Paul when he talks about walk with the Lord, walk in the light, walk in the spirit. Uh, he's talking peripateo. So that is a common, it just keeps coming up. It's uh, dealing with the way you, you live, not, not your pace, not your, you know, you don't, it's, it's not that kind of walk. This is how you're living your life, to regulate one's life, to conduct one's life, to uh, live properly before God, and to, to move closer, to walk with Him, to walk His way, in the world, all of that, Peripatale. So we are going to look at walking in, with God in the world in these various areas. And we're going to tie that into how do we deal with that, that walk that we have. Because sometimes I just go with it. So if we go with a, a typical Christian church life walk with Jesus thing, it just show up for church. And if your church has Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you show up for that. You show up for uh, 
vacation Bible school, you, you, show, uh, you show up for camp, or what, whatever those different things might be, and, and have a quiet time or devotional time, read your Bible, and to walk with Jesus means to do those things. Where in the midst of that do you learn to get close to Jesus and hear from him? To get deep with him so that he transforms your thinking so that instead of blowing up in anger at animate or inanimate objects because it didn't work the way you wanted it to, you just proceed because you're walking with God and he's changed you from the inside. And you no longer have to do that. You don't have to have outbursts and words that rip other people because he's allowed you to learn forgiveness because he's forgiven you. And you learn to walk in love because he's loved you. Now you don't have to control and manipulate and have these twisted desires that are common among humans. It changes all of that. So we're going to walk with him. And we're going to do it in rival realms as we live on this planet. The rival realms, light and darkness. We're going to choose light, but we need to know what the darkness is. And we need to know how to battle darkness. We need to be able to identify the darkness. That seems really easy because you go in a dark room and you go, wow, that was dark. You turn on the light, that's light. Got it. And yet, you can read a book and miss it. You can watch a movie and miss it. You can listen to music and miss it. You can have a conversation with a friend and miss it. You look at your government and miss it. How do we identify the light in the midst of the darkness? And how do we support the light as opposed to the darkness? Rival realms. That's what we're doing. So we're moving in a, in a different direction. And uh, it's an application of much of what we've already already done. But here's a battle. This is from Psalm 2. Which is, I just love this psalm, but this is uh, just two uh, verses two to four. The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. That would be Mashiach, the Messiah. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. The Lord scoffs at them. (sighs) There's a real battle. It's been going on since a get-go. It's not done yet. It will be when Jesus gets back and takes over. In the meantime, we are in a battle. And we need to be ready to deal with the rival realms and to walk with God in the middle of whatever comes our way. And he wants to be honored in it. And we get to honor him by demonstrating to the people of this world and to those unseen beings around us that he is truly the one true God who is unbelievably glorified 
in and through us. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for trusting us enough to give us this role, to be able to uh, live in, in this time, in history, this place on the planet, to represent you uh, before the visible and invisible beings around us. Lord, to glorify you in our attitudes and our actions. Lord, I pray that we would pay attention, that we would enter into this battle fully armored up, equipped, attentive, ready to do whatever it is you call us to do. Lord, that we can make a difference. That many from the nations would come to know you. Lord, that you would be glorified among those invisible rebels, uh, that the angels who are supporting us can raise a hallelujah as well. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.